0: For more media content from Grace Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, go to gccsatx.com. Well, this morning we return once again to our study in Romans. So if you have your Bibles, please find Romans 12 We left off at verse 11, and that's all I'd like to read to you this morning as we get underway. Romans 12.11 As with many of these other verses, very simple, very to the point, not not incredibly complex or complicated, verse eleven, do not be slothful in zeal some of your Bibles you may see business there that that really the kJV translates it that way only once and right here um, it's really the word for earnestness. Zeal is, is right, that's, that's good. Uh, we're to be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Brethren, have you ever ever considered now just think with me here. Lend, lend me your minds for the next few minutes. Have you ever wondered why we're still here? Now that may not maybe maybe it's never entered your mind. But think with me a second. Think about the thief on the cross. You've got this man on the cross next to Christ. He's saved. We know that earlier on that cross he was mocking. Suddenly, something happens to him. The man is born again. The man is regenerated right there on that cross. He went from mocking to defending Christ over against the other thief. The other one on the other side. And that very day, Jesus Christ says, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, has it ever struck you that if it's possible for that thief to be that day in paradise, guess what? You know one thing that tells me? It is not absolutely essential that you and I walk this earth for 10, 20, 50 years in some kind of progressive sanctification, right? I mean, what that tells me right there is it's not essential on God's part to leave us here for 50 years in order to work all the kinks out of us. To get us to the place where we're perfect. You'd agree with that, right? So doesn't the question come up why am I still here? Think with me. Some of you, you're distracted right now. we got movement here, people wandering about. I mean, right now I see four people up. Uh, there's distraction. I mean, think about it. We're here in this life, there's distractions. you got cars going by out here people moving around, no doubt during the sermon, there will be babies crying. In this world, we're distracted. We've got the flesh. We're still in this body. We struggle with it. The fact is, any of you ever experience coldness or dryness? You've got the world out there that's throwing all these temptations at you. Satan comes around, he's, he's looking to devour people. He's constantly prodding us and poking us and, and causing trouble in our life. You just think about this. Any of you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength today perfectly? You see, we fall short. We've got all these things, all these plagues, all these weaknesses, all these distractions. If God took us out of here and took us to glory, to paradise, right there, You know know where that thief went to? He went to paradise. Where's that? You go over to Hebrews 12, 23. You find the New Jerusalem talked about there. The city of the living God. And who's there? Just men. Righteous men made perfect. That thief went out of this world that day and he was perfect. I mean, with all these distractions and everything, you and I can't worship God perfectly here. None of us have worshipped God perfectly here. As glorious as that last song was, none of us sang it with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. If God took us out of here, we could be worshiping before Him in absolute perfection right now. Now, this is the question I would ask you. Wouldn't that be more for His glory? Wouldn't it be more for His glory if I was there where I didn't have the distractions and I was able to worship Him without the least taint of sin? Sinlessly perfect, worshiping God. Would that not cause Him more glory? Why? Why are we here? Why the delay? Why does He leave us in this wasteland? Look at us! This army of Christians gathered together at fatties. I mean, if God so willed it, He could say, I mean, just give the Word, Lord! This little army, one swift attack, boom, we're out of here, we're gone. God could will that. God could so energize us, one quick charge today, it's all over. He takes us all there. Brethren, let me tell you this. Let me guarantee you this. If it was truly for God's greatest glory that you'd be there, you'd be there. You know why we're here? We're here to serve the Lord. That's what the text says. Serve the Lord. The fact is, we're still here because the service that we have to render to the Lord here glorifies God more than if we were there worshiping Him perfectly in heaven. Brethren, let me assure you of this. We are not here in vain. There's a reason there's a purpose. We're here to serve the Lord in a way that would not be possible if we were this day in glory basking in the brightness of His beauty. That's a fact. Well, what are some of those things? I mean, what does the Scripture say? The church of the living God is a pillar and ground of truth. Can we be a source of truth in this world? Can we be truth in a world of lies, controlled by the father of lies, if we're up there? If we're gone, we can't be that. Did Christ not say, you're the light, you're the salt? How are we going to be the salty preservers of the earth if we're not here? How are we going to shine forth the light of the truth of Christ's words if we're not here? Did Isaiah not say how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I'll tell you this, if the church of Jesus Christ isn't here, nobody's telling this world your God reigns. Nobody. Because aside from the church, nobody's got the truth. Muslims don't have it. The JWs don't have it. The Mormons don't have it. The nightly news doesn't have it. We have it. We are the pillar and ground of truth. You take us out of the world, the truth is gone. As far as those people proclaiming it. We can leave it here in a book. But you know what? It's not just about a book. How are they going to hear unless somebody's preaching to them? That's why we're left here. We're left to proclaim these glad tidings. If you're in heaven, that doesn't happen. We're not here in vain. Now, I say all that just to emphasize this. It's clear that the greatest glory that you can bring to God right now is by faithfully serving the Lord here and now. And if that were not the case, be certain, God would not leave us here. But we are here. Paul says that while we are here, listen to it, we're not to be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord." I have two objectives this morning. That's it. First, I want to explain Paul's exhortation right there in Romans 12.11. second thing I want to do is try to persuade you to do what Paul exhorts you to do. So first explain it, then persuade you. So, look at the text. First explanation. I want you to notice the last three words. Do you see them there? Serve the Lord." You know, I got thinking about this, and I, I, I kind of wrestled with how to bring it out. Serve the Lord. Now it's definitely true that the Holy Spirit is called Lord. Second Corinthians three eighteen. That's true. It, you'll find repeated verses. In fact, right here in Romans chapter one, very beginning verses, God the Father is called, or it talks about serving Him. There, um, God the Father is called Lord in a number of places in the Scriptures. And what I'm about to say is not meant to slight God the Father or the Holy Spirit at all. But it appears to me that what Paul is saying, Christian, serve Christ. Where do I get that? Well, right here in the book of Romans. If You you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. It's not too far away, no doubt. Romans 14.18 Whoever thus serves Christ. Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So you see there, Paul's speaking about serving Christ. You go a little further, Romans 16.18, Such persons do not serve our Lord Christ. You see, when he's talking about serving the Lord, it's Christ. He talks this way to the Colossians as well. Colossians 3.24, You are serving the Lord Christ. Christ. In Paul's mind, right here, I believe he's saying to every one of us this I want you serving Christ. And that's obviously when you're serving Christ, that's not to take away any of the service involved in that that would be rendered to the Father or to the Spirit. But why would I emphasize this? Brethren, the reason I emphasize it is for just this one reason. I know this. Peter tells me that to those of you who believe, He is precious. And you know what? I thought, that's a powerful appeal. When I can go to people and I can say, No! You're not serving me! You're not serving Della! That might be hard! You know who we're called to serve? We're called to serve the One who's precious. We're called to serve Him that's altogether lovely. This is our Beloved. This is the One who is Beloved above all other Beloveds. To use the Song of Solomon terminology, He's altogether desirable. This is my Beloved and my Friend. Brethren, remember who we serve. I just start out right here. When you think about this verse, you think, I'm serving the One who died for me. I'm serving the One who gave Himself for me. I'm serving Him who gave Himself up a fragrant offering to His Father on my behalf. Now let that sink in. The next thing that I want you to see here is just note the word slave. That term serve, it's the verb form. Now catch this word. It's the verb form of the noun doulos. Well, any of you that have, are much into listening to John MacArthur, you know he's been making much out of that lately, right? He's all upset that all these translations have servant and not slave. Because said that's what that word meant. And he says he believes it's an undermining of that very concept. And if you've heard anything about what he's... It's really good stuff. We are slaves of Christ. But you know what Paul's calling us to very specifically here? Perform the duty of a slave. He is saying, be a slave of the Lord Jesus. Now here's the thing. What is it that's true about a slave? I mean, if you were basically to define slave, what is the basic meaning? I'll tell you what, it has to do with will. Will. A slave is one who caters to the will of another. Isn't that exactly what a slave does? A slave carries out the will of the master. That's that's the whole point of what slavery is all about. Now brethren, did you hear that? I know you heard the words, but did you really hear that? You know what? We have so bought in to this idea that we can't be perfect here in this life, that we have blown off what it means to be a slave to Christ, and resigned to the will of another. You know what Paul's calling us to do? You know what is not only possible in these words, but expected that Christians can, should, will consistently live lives in which they do not intentionally sin. In which they do not intentionally turn. Now look, I'm not talking about absolute sinless perfection here. I'm not talking about that at all. I know that when the Scripture says love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm not saying you can do that for an extended period. I'm not even certain any of us can do it at a moment in time. But what I am saying is this, it is not only possible, it is commanded that we seek to live our lives as living sacrifices. That means I am resigned to the will of God on a consistent basis. Do not justify your rebellion by saying, well, we can't be perfect, and so you live a life of willingly transgressing the commandments of Christ. You are called to be a slave to Him, which means you are to resign your will. Listen, true Christians can walk through the next 24 hours without purposely, intentionally, willfully, knowingly, Violating something that they know pleases the Lord. Is that not true? Is that not true? Should that not be expected of us? Are you going to justify before me willing? Now look, I'm not saying that things don't happen in ignorance. I'm not saying that that we won't fall. And I'm not saying that the true Christian is going to live the rest of their life never intentionally sinning against the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, the Scripture, I believe, repeatedly calls us to living a life where we are committed, I am not going to intentionally bend my will against my Master. I'm called to be a slave to Him. Brethren, think about this. This is not far off from what Peter says over in 2 Peter 3.14. He says, Be diligent to be found by Him, Christ, without spot or blemish, And at peace. Now you think about that. Be diligent. He's not talking about what Christ has earned for you, though Christ has definitely earned a perfection for you. He is saying you be diligent. He means in your life, as you live, in your conduct, as you move through life, be diligent to be found blameless and spotless. And I'll tell you this, when you willfully transgress the commandments of your Lord, Those are spots, those are blemishes, and you are being told, be diligent to do this. And you know what the writers of Scripture believed? They believed that you could, with increasing regularity, being diligent and applying yourself, living your life where you are consistently giving yourself to the will of Christ. Do not excuse your rebellion and your disobedience based on the fact that you believe we can't be perfect in this life. And like I say it again, I'm not saying you'll love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength perfectly, even at any moment, let alone for extended periods. But what I am saying is this, you can live your life where you are consistently applying yourself and being diligent to not let any spot, any, anything to your blame be thrown in there where it can be charged with you. You willfully are transgressing against the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, do you believe that that's what the Scriptures teach? And I believe that there is a teaching that is so permeated, especially the reform movement today, where people feel justified to willfully go out and do things against the Lord, and then they justify it by saying, well, we'll never be perfect here. they basically justifying their rebellion. They're justifying their sin. Don't you dare believe that. When Paul calls you to serve the Lord, he's t- calling you to resign your will to Christ and to do it with regularity. Do it with constancy. Do it. Do it, brethren. Do it. By the grace of God, you can live the next 24 hours without willfully acting contrary to what you know that the Lord Jesus Christ would disapprove of. You can do that. Press on. Be diligent, brethren. Be diligent to do this. I'm not saying you can do it in your own strength, but by the grace of God, He's precious to us. His will is good for us. He calls us to do things that are good. Have any of you found Him to be a hard master? Have any of you found it that the things He commands us to do are unreasonable? Look, cite your will to do His will. Is it not God who causes us to will and to do of His good pleasure? God is working for you, brethren. Set your will to do the will of Christ. We're to be a slave. And then I go to this. We're to serve as slaves. The Lord is Christ. The third thing in explanation, the Lord wants our passion. Just consider the whole rest of Romans 12.11. We're not supposed to serve the Lord just any old way. We're supposed to do it with a passion. Read the text again. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. We have the negative first. Don't be slothful. Then the positive. Be fervent in spirit. You see that word fervent? Fervent. It's literally the word Boil. You know what Paul's saying? Christian, boil in the Spirit serving Christ. This, this You can't get around it. This is a verse with passion in it. In your spirit, you are to boil serving Christ. Obvious intensity. We're to be earnest. We're to be alive. We're to be vigorous. Whatever you do for Christ, he's saying throw your whole soul into it. Everything you got. The one thing Paul is clearly saying is do lots of work for Christ. And do it with passion. And the warning about being slothful makes it clear that Paul doesn't want any loafers among the redeemed. you get that idea? None of you loafing. None of you lazy. None of you wasting time. You see, folks, we've, we've so accepted this defeatist mentality of Christianity that we don't even take these things seriously. We're an army. We're here for a reason. And it's not to sit on your sofa. It is not to be lazy. God has left us here for His glory. He's left us here to be servants of the living Christ. To carry out His will in this world. And your time is short. And He calls us to do it, to do it now, and to do it with passion. He's dealing with the Corinthians. He charges in there. He says, beloved brothers, I love you guys. I want you to honor the Lord. Here's what I want you to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." He wants them abounding. He wants them giving themselves to it. You guys remember Jonathan Edwards? He wrote those 70 resolutions when he was only a teenager. Younger than almost all of us in this place. man was only a teenager. What was he, 18, 19 years old? When he wrote those 70 resolutions. You know what one of them was? I believe it was number 6? Resolved to live with all my might while I live." This isn't a game, folks. This isn't a thing where, yeah, I'm a Christian now, and so let me go home and watch the game shows. May that same Spirit grab us that grabbed Jonathan Edwards, what, 200, 300 years ago. We need that. We need a people dedicated. I am going to serve the Lord. My will is to do His will. And while I live, I intend to do it with all my might. And I'm not going to willingly be shrugging off my responsibility to follow His will. Brethren, we can live this way. We must live this way. Paul is charging us to live this way. By God's grace, we can live this way. This is no time to loiter. This is no time for fun and games. There is war at hand. We're here. Our time is short. God has left the army of God on this earth for a reason. And it's to fight this battle. It's to take that Gospel forth. It's to proclaim His love out there among the lost. Zeal matters. Passion matters. Over and over and over and over again in the Bible, we find intensity matters. Zeal matters. Wholeheartedness matters. Don't settle for anything less. Too many lazy Christians, or at least professing lazy Christians. Make no mistake about it. The Lord Christ is calling you to put away your idleness, put away your slothfulness, all your laziness, all your half-heartedness. Serve Him as a slave with a boiling spirit. That's what we're called to do. So there you have it. That's what the text says. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to go on to the second part. My persuasion. I'm going to try to persuade you all now. Now you say, how can I persuade you? I mean, if you're out there and and there's some measure of sluggishness, maybe somewhat idle, you're less than boiling, less than fervent, somewhat slothful in your serving of the Lord, how can I encourage you to pick up the pace? You see, I realize this. Only that Burning, living Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, can truly light a fire in your heart. But I know this, there are certain materials that the Spirit of God uses as kindling to start those fires. As did Christ, and as did His followers. And what is that? What is it that kindles in the heart of a Christian? Folks, it's truth. You know what the the biblical writers did? When they want to encourage people, they didn't zap them. They didn't send thunderbolts and lightning on. They, they, t- they, they hit them with truth. You know why they did that? They believe that the Spirit of God works through truth. They believe that truth is the kindling that the Spirit of God lights in the hearts of God's people. And I believe that too. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to shoot through a list of twelve things. You ready? Here we go. I don't know how much time we got left, but I'm going to shoot through all twelve of these. And I'm not going to guarantee you that we're going to go through all of them fast. We might settle in on one or two of them just because... Brethren, don't be slothful! Don't be idle! We have too much sloth and sluggardliness and slowness in Christians today. So here we go. May, May these grab your heart. May God use them as kindling in those hearts. Twelve of them. Number one. You're going to have to turn to Luke sixteen. The sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light. Brethren, read with me. Luke 16, verse 1. He, Jesus Christ, also said to the disciples... He's going to tell them a parable here. Now listen to this parable because there's been lots of dispute and debate about its meaning, but brethren, it amazes me how clear things are in the Bible that people spend all sorts of time debating and disputing about. This text is very obvious. And I think you'll all see it. There was a rich man. He had a manager. Charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, in other words, I'm getting fired... I'm not strong enough to dig. This isn't a ditch guy. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm removed from the management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Now, folks, This manager is stealing. This manager is being dishonest. This manager is doing that which is evil. It's very, very evident. He said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat." He said to him, take your bill and write eighty. Now here's the thing that happens. The master commended the dishonest manager. So right there, Christ is admitting the guy was dishonest. And this is still the parable. He's saying in the parable, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now folks, one of the reasons there's so much debate about this is because you have to admit, it's a rather strange parable. It sounds like Jesus is almost encouraging unrighteous behavior. But is that really what He's doing? We need to read the next words or we miss the whole meaning. And here are the next words for the sons of this world..." Did you get that? The lost! That's who he's talking about! The lost people! "...the sons of this world are more shrewd..." You know what that word is? They're wiser. They're more sensible "...in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light." Do you hear what Christ is saying? Have you ever read that before? What a commentary on us Christians. Christ says worldly men are more clever in the affairs of this world than the children of God are diligent for the things that pertain to everlasting life. Have you ever read that before? Christian! Is it possible that in your workplace, in your school, in your family, that those lost people around you are giving themselves to acquire and to possess and to gain the things that they want in this world with more aggressiveness, more decisiveness, more shrewdness than you are in the things of eternal life? Is that happening? You know I read this? doesn't it almost make you want want to hang your head in shame that it should be so I mean isn't this the kind of stuff that demons look at and they just they laugh those stupid stupid Christians we've seen the glory of God we've been on the hill of fire among those stones we see what it is they have to gain And whatever those rewards are, whatever that increase of joy might be in those rewards, they look at it and they know. And they look at us and they get us playing with these stupid, trivial things in this life while their own pawns serve their sins with more enthusiasm than you do. And they look and they laugh because they know you are being stupid, stupid, stupid. And the ungodly look and they mock. You get in the workplace and there's the Christian. There's the guy who professes to be a servant of Christ. He walks at half the speed. Does work half as well. They look at him and they mock. Look at that! These Christians, full of sloth, sluggards, slow. They say they believe these things. Look at their life. Brethren, we ought to hang our heads that it's so. Brethren, up out of the easy chairs! Are we going to let the lostlings in this world outrun us? God forbid! Are we going to let them charge after their sin and their pleasures and their wealth and their empire at a greater pace than we do for the things of eternal life? God forbid, brethren! God forbid! And I'll tell you what the very next verse says. Right here in Luke 16, Christ says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. You see, He's playing right off this. And you know what He's saying? He's saying one of the places this bears out most particularly is in what you do with your money. You know what Jesus Christ said? He said, don't store up treasure in heaven. Some of you are out there buying cell phones when you don't need it. You're putting money into homes as though those homes are going to last forever. You're putting all this time, all this attention. You're putting yourself into these worldly things, giving your time, giving your attention, rather than serving the Lord. With zeal and with fervency. You're serving your stuff. You're serving the trivialities of this passing world. Brethren, you know what Jesus Christ said? He said store up treasure in heaven. Do you really believe there's treasure to be had in heaven? Well then why in the world are you storing up so much treasure here? You see You see what I'm saying? If you really believe that this is all true, if this is indeed, you know, you know what it says over in the what is it, Revelation 14? It says that when we enter into our rest, our deeds follow us. I'll tell you this, through all eternity, the things you do in this life in the service of Christ are going to follow you there. And yet, you're giving yourself to the trivialities and the vanities of this life. Amazing! And He says with money, you ought to invest your money in such a way that when you come to enter those eternal dwellings, you'll be received. And I'm not saying you can buy your way into heaven, but I am saying this, Jesus Christ is teaching that what you do with your money has a lot to do with the kind of entry you're going to get into that place. You can go on and out of here and say, I don't believe that. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus Christ says right there. And by what you do with your money, You know what? You're a professing child of God. You say you believe in eternal rewards. You say there's treasure to be had in heaven. But then you compare yourself with a lost man. And he's outrunning you. He's investing in all his stuff in this life because he believes it's going to bring him pleasure. You say you believe the greatest pleasures are at his right hand in the world to come. And yet by your life, you're not proving it. And he's outrunning you in the things, his objectives, what he wants to accomplish than what you're running in. We speak one way, brethren, and we live another way. And we ought to hang our heads that this world should be outrunning us. Number two. Faithful in little, faithful in much. This actually comes, if you're right there in Luke 16, you can look right down at verse 10. It's the very next verse. I make this my second point, but this is... This is such a principle that we need to really weigh out in serving the Lord with fervency, not in sloth. What's that? Well, we need to be faithful in little. You know what? I've been a Christian now 19 years. Guess what? I've never found anybody who's been faithless in the little things suddenly taken by God and thrust into big things. Doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I've not seen God take people who aren't faithful in their workplace and suddenly make them great messengers of God in the Gospel, sent them out to the ends of the earth. I don't see that kind of thing. fact is, so often people find it difficult to serve the Lord fervently in the little things. Why? Because they're self-important. They think that's stooping too low. They think that's degrading. I don't want to do the little things. We see that. We see that. People come in here. They come into the church. Some even become members. God forbid that they should ever stoop down and clean something. Or help move the chairs, or help set up, or be on time. You know what? As long as they can receive, as long as they can get, as long as they can be in the notable positions, they're striving always for the notable places. Brethren, you gotta be faithful in the little things. Now, men may take sluggards and put them into high offices, but I guarantee you this God never does. God never truly calls a man to a place or a woman to a place of higher. Responsibility, until they've proven themselves to be responsible in the little things. And I'll tell you what, in the service of Christ, most things are little things. And most things are the things that are going to be done where it's unobserved. And if you've got this complex that you're not going to do anything unless you can get attention and you can get an applause. Brethren, some of you believe you would serve the Lord much more faithfully if you were out there with Trevor in Papua running around with the cannibals. You have this imagination, if only I could be there, then I'd be faithful. Some of you have this idea, well, if Brother Tim would just open up the pulpit to me and let me preach, then I'd be really able to serve the Lord. Let me tell you that. Some of you have that idea, but that's not the case. You've got to be faithful in the little things. Faithful in those. Brethren, there's a bathroom over there. Now you just... You just let let this kind of imagination go go through your mind. You ask yourself whether you're this kind or not. You go in that bathroom. You see a mess on the floor. Maybe it's an awful mess. It's disgusting. Here you are in the bathroom all by yourself, and you realize if I don't pick that if I don't clean that up, nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to see it. If I pick it up, clean it up, nobody's going to see it. You just ask yourself, are you the kind to walk out of that bathroom and just leave it there? You see, God calls us to be faithful in little things. Now, really let your imagination kick in here. Imagine you say, that's that's too degrading. I'm too clean. I'm too proper. My clothes are too pretty. To serve the Lord that way. Imagine yourself walking out of the bathroom and Jesus Christ Himself walks past you. You turn and you look and He bends down in there and He cleans it. Would you feel real good? You'd feel ashamed. You know who calls us to live this way? You know the one we're called to serve? Is He who took the towel and he girded himself and he got on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. Brethren, you got to be faithful in the little things before you can ever expect that you're going to be faithful in the big things. Before you can ever expect you're going to be faithful preaching or off in the jungle somewhere. Too many of us live in in this dreamy, foggy, unrealistic mindset. We float around not being faithful, but we have this idea, if only we could be in another position or in another place, then we'd be faithful. Folks, let me tell you this, if you're not faithful right now serving the Lord in the little things right where you find yourself, you will never be faithful in the big things. Mark it down. Number three, I take this one, this one one I call whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Well, where did I get that from? This comes from an interesting Old Testament text taken from Ecclesiastes, which I believe has a a definite resemblance to the text we find in Romans 12.11. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That's fervency. Do it with your might. Do what? Whatsoever your hand finds to do. I think it's very interesting. You know when they built Jerusalem? Guess where every man built? Right by where he lived. He came out his front door. There's the wall. Broken down. Needs to be rebuilt. His hand found to do it. Right there in front of his face. And you know what? He gave himself to do it. And with might, he did it. And with fervency, he did it. And I'll tell you what they did. They built that wall. Whatsoever their hand finds to do. They didn't have to wander away somewhere. They found something for their hand to do right there in front of their face. Again, we can come back to this whole thing. A lot of people are looking for the thing to do way off out there in the ends of the world. But let me just tell you this. Those men set themselves building that wall and they built it till it was done. You know what doing something with all your might means? You know what doing something with fervency means? It means you don't go into it half-hearted and running out of gas in the middle of it. You do it till it's done. Guess what? They built right there, right out their front door, right where their hand found what to do, and they did it with might, and they did it till it was complete. Why do I emphasize that? We got too many Christians today that are ready to start everything under the sun, but they got no juice to take it all the way through to the end. It's amazing how many ministries you'll get 40, 50 people ready to do in the beginning. Three months out, there's four. Why? Because people aren't serving the Lord with their whole heart. And you got too many people that are looking for where the action is. Boy, they'll go where the thrill is. They'll go where the action is. They'll come in seem all excited. Where are they in a few weeks, few months? They're gone. Why? They're action seekers. They're thrill seekers. That's not the way to serve the Lord. That's not serving the Lord fervently. That's not serving the Lord with all your might. That's basically serving yourself. And as long as it's fun, as long as it's exciting, you'll be there. But after that, you're out the door short-lived, quickly off to the next thing. That man is not putting all his might into something he only intends to see halfway done. You know what our Lord Jesus Christ, he started with 11 saved men and he ended with 11 saved men. He didn't get halfway through and say this is boring. I think I'm going to go on to the next thing. See you guys later. This is this is tiring to me. You you know, I've become too familiar with you. I've seen all your defects now. I've seen all that you know, your weaknesses, you guys, Sons of Thunder over there, doubting Thomas over here, and we got Peter and your pride is killing me, so I'm off to the next group. But we got Christians like that. They come in, things get a little hard, a little bit of trial, a little bit of difficulty, and they're ready to hit the wind. You got to serve the Lord with all your might? You got to serve the Lord with fervency? Are you in this thing half-hearted? You're ready to bail? And I say this to you, young people we got too many young people looking for the action is and not really ready to work. As long as it's fun, as long as it's thrilling, as long as there's an excitement about it, you're in there. But as soon as that starts to wear off, well, I'm going to go to the next exciting thing. You're really not there to serve the Lord. Number four. I just say, short-lived commitments are a curse. If you start things, may God give you the grace, give you the might, give you the fervency to finish what you start. Number four. Christ hates half-hearted service. Revelation 3:15 I know your works. What church is this? Who's the half-hearted church? I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Laodicea. He's speaking to a church, folks, Laodicean church. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Brethren, of course we all realize that Jesus is not saying that being cold is good. You guys understand that, right? He's saying, be honest. Show yourself for what you are. It's not good to be on the outside, but if that's where you truly are, then show it. Either be in, be out. Get off the fence. Get off the wall in your service for Christ. Be hot, be cold. Be true, be false. Be real or not. He would rather have you just come clean and be cold rather than this sickening middle ground. If you're going to serve the Lord, serve Him with fervency. Because He doesn't want anything else. He's not pleased with it. You know that word spit? Spit you out of my mouth? It's the word vomit. The old King James says spew. Christ hates half-hearted service. It makes Him want to vomit. Now let me tell you, Hey, let's not mince words. You and I know what hot is. Don't tell me you don't know what hot is. You put your hand in water, you know if it's hot, you know if it's lukewarm. That is not a word that is spoken in another language to us that we have a hard time comprehending. Don't mince words here. Look at your life, man. We called for a week of prayer and fasting. Has your prayer and fasting for our missionaries over this last week been hot? We have prayer meetings on Wednesday night. We pray for the things that matter. We pray for big things. Your prayer life hot. Your attendance on Wednesday prayer meetings hot. You've been praying and fasting for our missionaries in a way that could be described as hot. Have you been sharing the gospel with people in a way that you would say is hot? you have a burden for souls that's hot? We had the Lord's Supper last week. 3 p.m. Would you say that your attendance or lack of it declared whether there's heat in your life? Folks, we know what hot is. It's hot. And we know what hot is not. We know when it isn't hot. We know when it's not there. Jesus Christ said, I would, you would show yourself in or out, hot or cold. And if you're going to be lukewarm, if you're going to serve me with a half heart, it sickens me, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. He's not speaking to some Turks over there in Izmir. Bowing down to their Allah over at the... No, he's he's speaking to a church. Just like I'm speaking to now. Not to the lost hordes out there. He's speaking to the church. And he's saying, if you're going to try to serve me with a half heart, divided heart, I hate it, it sickens me. Go one way or the other, but get off the middle. And if you're not ready, listen, and I say this as far as membership to this church, if you're not willing to commit to be hot, and to commit to go all the way, I'm not saying God may not move you, God may not take you another place, that may happen. But when you come, you need to be committed, to serve the living Christ with some heat, with some fervency, with some passion, with some commitment. If you want to play games, there's a lot of other places you can go play games. But we want to do it according to the Word, do we not? And it says, do it with fervency. It says, don't be slothful in this. Christ doesn't have a stomach for that kind of thing. Number five. Now this may surprise you, but the Bible actually tells us that we are to discipline the idol. You see, where? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Now we command you... You see, folks, not being lazy is a divine commandment. Yes, you find it over there in in Romans 12.11, but you also find it dealt with more extensively at least with regards to our work in Second Thessalonians three verse six, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. In other words, if we've got somebody here that's being idle, we're to keep away from. Them. That's discipline, folks. Non-association. Push them away. Put them out. Don't associate with them. Be done. If they're idle, you say, "Wow, you know that's that's up there with with." Fornication, adultery, drunkenness, those kind of, swindlers, thieves, the kind of things that get people put out of churches. You're exactly right. Idleness. You young people. You, you get the feel of God's Word that when God saves you, He's calling you to serve the living Christ with a passion. He's not calling you to be idle. He's not calling you to be slothful. Brethren, we're to keep away from brethren who are walking in idleness. You jump to verse 7. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day. Do you guys see that? You know what Paul says? We came in there, we had a right to be supplied by you. Because we were preaching the gospel. Gospel laborer is worthy of of his service. He's worthy of his hire. We see that in Scripture. But you know what he says? We forewent that because we wanted to be an example to you of those. We wanted to be an example to you of those who work night and day. Now listen. We've got this mindset going through our heads today. We get to 55, 60 years old, we retire. Okay, show me that in the Word of God. We got this mindset today. Well, we work eight hours a day. Show me that in the Word of God. We work five days a week. Where is that? You know what he says? I work night and day. You got this idea? Well, I work 40 hours. Well, so what? Work 60. Work 70. I mean, apply yourself. It doesn't always mean you need to be in some specific, you know, sort of work that's. You know, where you're earning a paycheck, this can be out on the streets, this can be evangelizing people, this can be visiting hospitals, visiting the widow and the orphan in their affliction, it can be visiting prisons, it can be visiting the nursing homes, it can be doing any sort of thing like this. But who in the world are we to say that we have a license to sit down and waste eight, ten hours of our day in front of a television or in front of a computer? You show me that in the scriptures. Paul says, We work night and day to be an example to you. Brethren, we got this concept today about retirement, about 40-hour work weeks, about working five days a week. Where in the world is that in the Scriptures? I read, God tells us to work six days. And if you just figure out all the hours minus the amount of hours you need to sleep, you've got a lot of hours to be working. Brethren, we're called to be diligent. You don't have much time. And I know that there needs to be times of getting away, there needs to be times of rest, there needs to be times of that. But we've got too much of it. I'll tell you this, when I travel to other countries, I see people that work. And they work lots. And they work long. And they work lots of days. And they don't know about vacations. And they don't know about retirement. Where in the world do we dream those things up? We're to work fervently, labor fervently, serve the Lord fervently. Do it every minute of every day. Do it with your whole lives. We can't run out of steam here, folks. Paul commands you and encourages you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to work. Don't be idle. And I'll tell you this, we need to take this seriously as a church. You guys know one another who are being idle in this church? Now obviously, we need to exhort them, we need to admonish them, we need to help them, we need to guide them. But if we get people that just simply are not willing to work and they're going to lay down, you know what Paul says? They're not not going to work. They don't eat. And I'll tell you what else it says. Don't associate with them. We need to put them out of the church. You say, isn't that being severe? Isn't that being unloving? It's not. We want to encourage people to use their time well, to work while it's day and they can still work. Give it all out. Number six. The highest, and I'll move much more quickly. I know we're running out of time. Highest privilege in the world is to serve Jesus Christ. That's number six. Listen, do you think just anybody and everybody gets to serve Christ? you got this idea that when you drove here to church today, that all the people you were going by have the same privilege? You know what Jesus Christ said? I thank You, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding, revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was Your gracious will. You know what the Scripture says? Concerning eternal life, there's only a few that find it. There's only a few that find it. God the Father reveals this to some of us. Do you realize? Look at our group in here. We're small compared to 2.5 million people in this city. To be able to serve Christ is a privilege beyond your wildest imagination. Only a select few get it. If, you've, if, if you're at a place to serve Him, serve Him as one of the privileged. Serve Him with fervency because you're one of the privileged. Number seven, excuses are a trademark of the lazy. It comes to serving the Lord Jesus Christ with fervency. I'll tell you what, excuses kill fervency. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Ecclesiastes 11.4 He who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. You know what? When you go around talking to people, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why don't you try that? Why don't you go here? And they got an excuse for everything. Excuse-ridden Christians are like this great big wet blanket you know, they're the people that always find the fault. They're the people that always think it can't work. They're the people with always the excuse. You get some hot heart, some fervent heart, fervent spirited people that want to serve Christ with passion, and what do you get? You get this you know, guy comes along and he's just he's just ready to quench every fire he finds. He's got excuses numerous under the sun. Why that can't work? He'll ask questions till the sun don't shine. And and, and all these questions is are asked in such a way that, well, can that work? You know, is that the best way to do it? And you ask these questions till you have done nothing. And you've basically been idle. And there's bunches of excuses. Well, there's clouds in the sky. Can't, can't do, the, till the soil today. Lion in the street. Better lay down and just rest here till the lion goes away. You get, look, do we really believe in a God with whom all things are possible? So what if there's a lion in the way? Who is it? I don't know. Remember, I can't remember what it was CT Studd said right off, but you know, his attitude was, well, there's only one lion in the way. Put another lion out there and a bear, and then I'll go out there. You know, that's the kind of heart we've got to have. The sluggard says, there's a lion in there. The man of God with some fervency in his heart says, yeah, throw another few out there. Why? Because, not because he believes in himself, but because he believes in the God who is called to serve him. The living Christ is powerful. Did He not say all authority has been committed to Me? I'll be with you to the end of the age. This is the one we're called to follow. He's got authority. He's got power. When He calls us to do things out there, multiply the lions. I find one of the fiercest lions in all the Scripture, Satan. And yet I find that he's going to be under my foot shortly. Folks, excuses are for the lazy. Number eight. Number eight. I call, we will do greater works than these." Listen to the verse, John 14.12. This is Jesus Christ speaking, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will He do, because I'm going to the Father.'" Brethren, I'm not even sure I can totally get my hands around that text. But if you don't see some motivation to serve your Lord Jesus with a hot spirit, I don't think it's possible to motivate you. The possibility that I can do greater works than He did—that just that, that staggers me. What a motivation! Number nine: work to be missed. Remember Dorcas? She did all these good. Wa- I'll tell you, Dorcas—funny name, powerful life, right? I mean, she did all these works, and when she was dead, they mourned her. Why? Because of all the works she did. Robert Maureen McShane, he said it this way, live so as to be missed. Dorcas died, people wept, she was loved. Why? She spent her life serving the Lord with a hot, passionate heart of love. And when people like that suddenly aren't here anymore, they're missed. I just ask you, how is it going to be when you die? If you were to die tonight, is anybody even going to miss you? Is your life so impactful on other people? Do you put yourself out for other people serving the Lord, so that if you were to die tonight, you would truly be missed? Or is it just kind of, yeah, you got a few close because you're a son, because you're a daughter, because you're something, somebody would be there at the, at the graveside and they'd be mourning and shedding some tears over you, but as far as your life being missed, not really any vacuum created. See, we don't want to be that, brethren. We want to live our lives so that when we're gone, we had an impact on a lot of people. How about this? Number 10. Work to rescue souls. Brethren, do we believe that men are dying in unconverted states? Their doom is just fearful beyond all expression. Don't we believe that? We say we believe that. We say we believe in a real, literal hell. I've heard you say that. I believe that. Brethren, what do they do there? They weep. We say we believe that. Why? It's all gone. All the mercies of God are gone. It's only misery, it's only punishment. What do you hear there? You hear teeth. Is that ghastly? I hear teeth gnashing teeth. Do you believe this? Do you believe really if people die without Christ, they end up gnashing their teeth forever? They end up weeping forever? They end up sorrowing? They end up being the objects... Of the wrath of God. Folks, I'm speaking reality here. This is no nightmarish movie that you get done and you're all scared and you turn off and you go to bed and hopefully wake up in the morning and the, the horrible memory of us passed away. It's real. And when we wake up in the morning, the people there are still there. And many more are going to be added. Do we really believe this? Brethren, is there a bottomless pit of fire like this? Is there agony? Are we idle? Or do we sit around you got time to sit there and watch your little sitcom week after week. You got to get home to watch that when the, these souls are past. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon I came across. Oh, children of the living God, I beseech you by the fires of hell, by the agony that knows of no abatement, by the thirst that is not to be mitigated by a drop of water, by the eternity which knows no end, I beseech you by the wrath to come. Be up and doing, earnestly striving together to be the means of God's hand of awakening poor souls and bringing them to the mercy of Christ. Be earnest. If you don't believe this Bible, I care not what you are, earnest or dull. But if you do believe it, act as if you believe it. If you think men are perishing, if the Lord's right hand is dashing in pieces his enemy, then I beseech you to be strengthened, to endeavor to bring these enemies to Christ that they may be reconciled by the blood of the cross. Brethren, our commission is to make disciples. If the living Christ says go, then our job is to send them and our job is to go ourselves. And you can believe that... Is exactly in accord with serving the Lord when we carry out His commands. What is that chief command He gave us when He left? It is to evangelize this world, it is to make disciples, it is to baptize, it is to teach. How many nations sit in darkness? Can we rot away the time? Get off the computer and let this grab you. Number 11, is it so hard to serve the one who loves you? I mean, the thing is, slaves oftentimes are bidden to serve those who are cruel and harsh. Jesus Christ took the the cup of God's wrath for me, and He drank it, and He drank every drop out of it. He emptied my hell for me! Is it so hard to serve Him? Some of you have served Him long. Some of you have served Him short. But have we all not found, whether it's been short or long, Brethren, his yoke has been easy. His burden has been light. We have not found him oppressive and cruel. We have found him good. This is the one. Can you see Him sweating in the garden? What was He doing there? What was He doing sweating in that garden? He was being put in the crucible of my damnation. And I realized it happened on the cross. But He was having four glimpses of it and it was causing such oppression to His soul that drops of blood were coming out. He's put in the crucible and ground by God and He did that for me. He did that out of love for you. Do you find it so oppressive, so awful to serve this one Brethren, can you imagine if, if he could stand here bodily right now and say, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side pierced for you. I did this for you. Now I call you to serve Me." Don't you find your heart melted in enough appreciation to say, the Lord doesn't need our service, but He certainly for His glory beckons us to it. Beloved, we don't just want to serve Christ, we want to love Christ. We're not like those pagans. Oh, I've got pictures in my mind. Hindus in their yard with their little dollhouse looking altars bowing really fast. And also it's almost like you look at it and it's like that, that, that can be real. That's that's we're not like them. We don't serve our Christ like the pagans all full of fear, all full of terror. Brethren, if if Christ were to stand here right now, and you know, He would speak with authority and yet with compassion. If He spoke in that way, and He said, look at my wounds, I've done this for you, what have you done for me? Is this not worth your fervency? And I'll leave you with this one, number 12. Jesus said this, We must work the works of Him who sent Me. Why? While it's day, night is coming when no one can work. You're left here in the world for a certain purpose. To serve the One who bled and died for you. And the end's coming. The night's coming. And no matter whether you completed your service or it's left undone, there's a moment coming when you will serve no more. Brethren, the night is coming. The night is coming. Some of you may know the name William Burns. He was the Scotch evangelist that filled the pulpit for McShane when he went to Jerusalem. While Burns was in the pulpit, revival came to Dundee, there at St. Peter's. This is also the man who is a missionary went over and worked in China and he worked alongside Hudson Taylor for a season. Let me tell you, this man gave his life well. He served the Lord well. And he served it with fervency. And it was known to this man that he would walk up and he would put his... Hand on the shoulder of other Christians, and he would say to them, Brother, we must hurry. Brethren, we must hurry.